The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? It's probably not a question that any of the disciples expected Jesus to ask. Why should it be their responsibility to feed this crowd of people? Why should that even be on the table? It's an outrageous thing to consider. 5,000 people. Can you imagine trying to feed 5,000 people? Who would even think to ask the question? Philip did the math and said that 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough. Two-thirds of a year's pay wouldn't be enough to feed all those people. And even if you had enough money, where could you find enough bread? Do you think there's enough bread in Walmart? Certainly not right now. To feed 5,000 people? That's the scale we're talking about. You can't just go into the local town and expect to find enough bread in one place for 5,000 people. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how much money you have. And this makes Andrew's suggestion sound like a joke. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? That's enough for the disciples, maybe, but it's nothing to the whole crowd. It was a ridiculous suggestion, and it's hard for me to think that Andrew was being serious. It was a ridiculous question that Jesus had asked in the first place. It's like if I said, okay, folks, how are we going to turn this church into a rocket ship? And one of you raised your hand and said, well, there's a propane tank outside, but that won't get us very far. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Well, here are five loaves and two fish, but that probably won't cut it. Is this even a real conversation? I imagine the disciples thought Jesus was just goofing around. 
He wasn't joking, though. There was more going on than meets the eye. He was testing them. Jesus knew what he was going to do. In fact, it's obvious. And that is the lesson for today. Jesus knows what he's going to do. And he wants us to see that it's obvious, too. And so he tested the disciples. He wanted to know if they'd understood. There were lots of clues. And he wanted to know if they'd picked up on them. To see what's going on in this story, we have to look back into the Old Testament. Our Old Testament lesson is part of the background, but we have to start back a bit further. We have to go back to the Passover. You heard it in the Gospel lesson. Jesus sat on the mountain and performed this miracle when the Passover was at hand. The Passover was the festival that the people of Israel were to celebrate every year in memory of their exodus from Egypt. They were slaves in bondage under Pharaoh. He cared so little, Pharaoh cared so little about Israel, and he was afraid that they might rise up against him that he ordered all the baby boys to be drowned in the river. That's how Moses came to grow up in Pharaoh's house. His mother didn't drown him, but put him in a basket, and he was found by the daughter of Pharaoh. After a time, Moses learned that he was a Hebrew, and one day, when he saw an Egyptian beating one of his people, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When the thing was found out, Moses had to flee. While he was in exile, God appeared to him in the burning bush and told him to go back to Egypt to set his people free. You know how the story goes. Ten plagues, with Pharaoh hardening his heart and refusing to let the people go. When it came time for the last plague, God instituted the Passover. The tenth plague would be the death of all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. An angel would go through the land and strike down all the firstborn of man and beast, unless that angel came to a house with the blood of a lamb painted on the frame of the door. When the angel saw that blood, he, was, he would pass over that house, sparing the firstborn in it. The people of Israel were to get ready. They were to have their belts fastened, sandals on their feet, and their staffs in hand. They were to eat a quick meal, and all of it, so that when the angel passed over their houses and Pharaoh drove them out of the land, they'd be ready to go. The celebration of the Passover throughout the generations of Israel was to be a reminder of God's great rescue from the house of slavery, from the house of death. It was to be a reminder that God was mightier than Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. It was to be a reminder of his steadfast love and faithfulness, his promise to provide and care for his people. That's the setting for the miracle in today's gospel lesson. The Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. If ever there was a time to remember that God always provides for his people, this was it. But there was more, it turns out. There were more clues for the disciples to pick up on. Notice how things went in the gospel. First, Jesus crossed the sea and the crowd followed him. Like Moses leading the people of Israel through the Red Sea. And the crowd followed Jesus because of the signs that he had done. Powerful signs like the signs that Moses did in Egypt. And having crossed the sea, Jesus then went up on the mountain. Like Moses going up on Mount Sinai to teach the people God's law. The Passover was at hand, and if the disciples were paying attention, they could have seen that Jesus was doing just what Moses did. 
In fact, Jesus was a new and better Moses. And that's why it's obvious what should come next. We heard it in our Old Testament lesson today. When the people were hungry, when the hordes and hordes of Israelites, 600,000 of them, when they got hungry, God fed them. He rained down bread from heaven and gave them meat to eat. And did you hear it in our Old Testament lesson? This is what God said. I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Why? That I may test them, just like Jesus tested Philip. That I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. This testing was key. Would the people receive the bread from heaven as proof of God's grace and mercy, proof of his love for them, or would they walk their own way, thinking that they were masters of their own fate? Would they listen and collect only what they needed for the day? Would they trust that there would be more bread tomorrow because God had promised, or would they doubt? And would they save some over from one day to the next because they didn't trust God? because they didn't believe that there would be more manna again tomorrow. That is the same kind of testing going on in our gospel lesson, and it is timely for us today. Most of the time, when life is stable, it is easy for us to think that we have managed to make a way for ourselves. It is easy to think that we have gotten ourselves all the things we need, the food on your table, the roof over your head, the shoes on your feet. You put them there. You have what you need because you have gotten it. feels very certain and secure. It's so short-sighted, of course, because all it takes is a run on the supermarket, a run on the banks, a drought, bad weather, plague, war, some pestilence, or any garden-variety misfortune to make all the things we need suddenly quite scarce. It doesn't take much, does it, to make all our certainties suddenly uncertain. The question in those times is simple. Has God stopped caring for us? Has he removed his gracious provision because he hates us? You know, of course, you know the answer in theory. Hypothetically, it's easy to say God always provides. But imagine you're a disciple looking at 5,000 hungry people, or you're one of the 600,000 Israelites wandering in the wilderness, or you're out of a job, or the supermarket shelves are empty, or any number of other things. Then the question is real. What do you believe about God? The question of whether or not he can provide is child's play. That's easy. But even the disciples seem to miss it. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? What's the correct answer? You can give them bread. You're the Son of God. But there's a bigger and more difficult question that the disciples don't even engage. Of course God can provide. Of course he can. But will he? Does he want to? Does he care? In the gospel today, Jesus is a new and better Moses. And that should tell us all that we need to know about him. Of course he cares. He cares enough to free his people from slavery, from the bondage of sin, from everlasting death. He cares enough to give his people what they need most, forgiveness, life, and salvation. How will he not also give them everything that they need for their bodies? Scarcity is no matter for Jesus. 
What are five loaves and two fishes for so many? They gathered up afterwards. After everyone had eaten his fill, they gathered up twelve baskets of pieces left over. They ended with more than they started with, and everyone was satisfied. But this, is, this was not about mere bread made from barley. On the next day, the crowd found Jesus again, and he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. When Jesus fed the 5,000 miraculously, he showed himself to be a new and better Moses, and that meant that his business was not just about filling bellies. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died, Jesus said. Bread is good for a time, but I have something better. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Through Moses, God fed 600,000 Israelites in the wilderness. It was bread from heaven meant for a day. They would gather and eat and live from one morning to the next. And the test was whether they believed that God would continue to give them bread day after day. It was a trivial matter for God. Raining down bread from heaven was as easy as causing the dew to form. There was bread in abundance. But Jesus is a new and better Moses. While he feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness, he is teaching them that there is bread available in abundance that does not merely feed you for a day. It doesn't melt in the heat of the sun. It does not simply give your body the strength to endure another 24 hours. But it nourishes and quickens your whole life, body and soul, for eternity. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, Jesus says. We work hard, tirelessly, for bread that satisfies the body for a bit. How much harder should we strive after that bread, which will make us live forever? Jesus is himself the bread of life. You eat his flesh spiritually when you hold to him in faith, when you hear God's word in which Jesus himself is present, the same Jesus who fed the 5,000. When you hear God's word, which gives you the promises of forgiveness, life, and salvation by the death and resurrection of Jesus, when you hear and believe that word, you are eating the bread of life. You are being fed by a new and better Moses. You are being nourished in a wilderness far bleaker and more desolate than the desert that the people of Israel wandered in. Christ himself is feeding you, you who wander in a desert of sin and death. We work hard, tirelessly, for the bread that satisfies the body for a bit. How much harder should we strive after that bread, which is the flesh of Jesus, which he gives for the life of the world? That is what makes this such a trying time. It's not the uncertainty of the world. That is to be expected. If we ever thought the world was certain, we were very confused. That's not what makes this a trying time. It is the struggle against our own flesh. That's what makes this a trying time. It is the struggle against our own flesh which hungers for food that perishes instead of hungering for the food that lasts to eternal life. When you see that in yourself, repent. 
When you find yourself more concerned with the cares of this life than with the righteousness of God, repent. When you find yourself doubting that God can and will provide, repent. And in your repentance, see your great need for the bread that satisfies the weak soul. The bread that fills the spirit struggling against the flesh. Listen to God's word and be satisfied. Eat and drink the flesh and blood of Jesus in the sacrament, which is the holy food, the bread from heaven given to make you whole. Even while our regular services are canceled, while the normal life of the church is disrupted, that food is freely available to you. There is no shortage, no scarcity, no risk from a run on the grocery, no amount of panic can limit our supply. See these trying times as a sign of your need, hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. And reach out to me so that I can bring you God's gifts, his food, his bread, his flesh and blood for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? It's similar to a question that I and pastors all over the country have been asking themselves over the last several days. Without the divine service, without the fellowship of believers in the church, without communion here in the sanctuary, where are we to find nourishment, the nourishment we need, so that all of us may eat the bread of life? The truth is, it's the same conversation Jesus had with his disciples. Jesus knows what he's going to do. And just when we believe that we have too little, that we have not enough for our great need, Jesus tells us gently to seat ourselves on the green grass, to listen to his voice, and to watch as he produces an abundance beyond comprehension. It's obvious what happens next. It's obvious what happens next for you, for me, for the world we live in. It's obvious. God always feeds his people. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.